A very warm welcome to you all. It's lovely to have so many of you in the building again with us. Warm welcome to those that are joining us online. And yeah, we're really excited this morning because it's very clear to us that um, yeah, God has something He wants to say to us as a congregation. Unbeknownst to Andrea, what she has just shared with you um, is perfectly in line with what Matt's going to be preaching on as we kick off a new series called um, Habakkuk, a Faith in the Age of Fear. And so yeah, we're really excited to dive into God's Word together. Um, but just before we do that, just a couple announcements. If you have children in the service with you that are perhaps too small to go off to Sunday school and they get a little excited about something other than the sermon, we do just ask that you um, are mindful of those around you and that you rather choose to leave the main auditorium and enjoy the service from one of our other venues. We've got a mother's room, which is ideal for feeding or perhaps for little ones that need to go to sleep. And if you've got restless toddlers that just need some floor space to play, we have a live feed room um, that's just to the right of our tented area. Um, and you're welcome to go make use of that space. You'll still have audio and visual of the service, and so you'll still be able to feel like you're part of what's going on here, but it will just allow the other um, folks that are here to just have a little bit uh, easier of a time to concentrate during the service. And then the last thing I just need to let you know about is that this week, Wednesday, we're going to be gathering in prayer with churches from around Africa. And so we're part of a group of churches called Advance, and we have churches all over the world that are part of this church family. But on Wednesday, we're going to gather with just the churches from throughout Africa to pray for what God is doing in our continent. There are church plants happening um, in Madagascar, in Kenya, what? In Tanzania. So yeah, there's a couple church plants happening internationally in Africa. We've got local church plants here in South Africa. We're going to be praying for those plants, um, praying for our local churches, and we would love it if you would join us for that. You can do that in three ways. You can do it at home as a family. Um, we'll send out the Zoom link this week. You can do it as a small group. So if you're gathering as a small group on Wednesday, you guys can sign on together and then pray in your small group. Or thirdly, you can come and join us here. We're going to be praying at the church from 7.30 to 8.30, and you're welcome to come earlier from 7, and we'll be serving coffee under the tent if you want some fellowship time. And so we would love it if you would join us. Um, if you're going to come here to this venue, we do need you to pre-register to make sure that we're COVID compliant, and you can find that sign-up sheet on our webpage. That's it from me. We're going to head into a time of prayer. I'm going to hand over to Laurie. Um, and then when prayer is finished, kids, I invite you to come with me. If you're from age three to grade four, we're going to exit this building and head over to our children's ministry hall. Uh, morning, church. It's just good to be here this morning. Every time I stand up here, the church gets fuller and fuller. So uh, maybe I'll disappear for another week or two, and then when I come back, it'll be jam-packed. So what we're going to do, we're just going to go into a time of prayer. I think you guys have got the gist of it, but those that uh, are new um, or just come for the first time, just uh, we spend a few minutes in corporate prayer, uh, praying about matters uh, on our hearts. And um, you know, Julie spoke about uh, fixing your eyes on the Lord, and we're <clears throat> going into a new series about uh, fear and faith. And this week the Lord was talking to me about Psalm, uh, from Psalm 139. Uh, it's a Psalm of David, and it ties up with what Andrea has spoken as well. So, and that's, um, He knows all about us. God knows everything about you. In your worst uh, situation, He knows about you. When you're on the lofty mountain, He knows about you. When you row in your little boat across this tempestuous sea, <clears throat> He knows about you. And He really wants to draw you closer to Him. And that's what I felt the, this morning. And even as we've been singing, the Lord wants to draw us 
closer to Him. And there are things in our lives that hinder that. <clears throat> there's sin, there's doubt, there's uh, selfishness, there's uh, lack of faith, there's uh, many, many things that hinder us <clears throat> from walking close to the Lord. And so this morning I really just want us to stand. It's really, it's, to me, this is a, <clears throat> an intimate moment. Uh, we're not going to pray this time for the government and for those in authority. <laughs> We're not going to pray for Maddie, who's going to bring the word, even though we should have done that by now. But we're going to pray that the Lord speaks to us by His Spirit this morning. And He draws us, because He wants, He wants you. He wants to, he wants to have this intimate relationship uh, with you. And... Uh, We've got to put aside all the stuff that hinders that. So we spend a few minutes just praying. And I also I don't often pray for myself. But uh, today I want to encourage you to pray for yourself. That, uh, that you can get past these uh, things that are hindering you from having that wonderful and special relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just stand just in your uh, few minute moments. So we'll pray. And uh, I'll close it off in prayer. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I, awake, when I awake, you are still with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Father, what a wonderful promise. So, Father, this morning we pray, draw us nearer to you. As we hear the word, Lord, draw us nearer to you. As the Spirit ministers to us, draw us nearer to you. Help us, Lord, to overcome. Help us not to be uh, those that fall by the wayside, but people that are close to you in every possible way. Let us not look around and see the troubles and the things of this world, but rather let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Let us kneel before you, Lord, and raise our hands in prayer and worship. Pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. The children are going to head off to Next Gen. And uh, whilst we get ready here, won't you open up to Habakkuk? You'll probably need your index to find it. Or if you're on your phone or your Bible, it's Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to be reading from this very, very special book, different book. But I, I really do sense this is on the Lord's heart for us today. 
You know, sometimes as a preacher, you're not sure what you prepared is correct. And after a morning like this, three words in a row, you're like, yes, I am not tone deaf to the spirits. It's wonderful. So I want to introduce this theme this morning, which Joe's going to unpack in bigger detail. But it came to me as a thought, but I think it's prophetic for us as a church at this time, is we are living in an age of fear and I am asking myself, as you should be this morning, as a follower of Christ, how does our faith look different and seem different to the world around us? And does our faith really give us answers to not just survive and to cope as human beings in the 21st century, but actually to thrive? Because my friends, today, it is not difficult to look around you and to see that we are living in a day and age where there is massive upheaval on a global scale. We're not just talking about the global COVID pandemic. Friends, the pandemic's going to come and go. We've got big issues facing us that the pandemic has either highlighted or fast-tracked, although there's massive ramifications for our society from this pandemic. But I want to say the COVID pandemic is going to pass away and we're going to still have the environmental crisis of global warming facing us. The climate is changing. It's a fact. And what about the global shift of power? It's very easy as you study politics and, and global influence. You see a declining West. You see a resurgent East. And the East looks a lot different to the West. You've got a totalitarian regime in China. You've got a meddling um, uh, dictator slash in the, in, the, in the garb of democracy in Putin. You've got all of these shiftings that are taking place of empire. And with that is coming a fundamental shift in the way Western society sees herself. In my own short lifetime, I'm 35 years old. I have watched as a westernized person living in Africa, sure, that we are largely westernized in our realm of influence and, and, and engaging. I have watched a Christian worldview that has felt familiar to me as a follower of Christ change to living in a foreign set of values where suddenly what was certain to the world, gender, the nature of marriage between a heterosexual monogamous couple, sexual practice, authority being an acceptable space in society, not questioned at every turn, and the fact that there is such a thing as absolute truth, these things that you and I have taken for granted as followers, and even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, have been infused into your DNA or your worldview, these things that we have accepted as the norm are all being entirely challenged. And what is happening in our day and age, friends, it's disorientating. And it's not just at a global scale, at a national level, we are watching in our government a changing of the God, and we're not sure what the new God is going to look like. You've had people that have been infused with Nelson Mandela's ideal of a vision of a nation that is inclusive, that is respectful of differences, yet able to compromise and become one under a banner called South Africa. I don't know if the future leaders hold that same heart or vision for our nation. Or how about this? In my own lifetime, I've seen in this country a dominant church, radically influential, whose voice was respected, is now in decline. And certainly what we can see in the West is when the world is needing the light of the gospel, what is making the headlines regarding the church is not the kind of headlines we want to see. Not so? Not so? 
Now, add this into the mix. Add this into the mix of just how difficult normal life can be, right? Just being a human being and traveling a path in this world, it's hard. Let me tell you, being a pastor, perhaps, and if you're in any sort of uh, caregiving profession, just traveling through life, it is fraught with loss and disappointment and complexity, like Andrea shared this morning. And I want to ask you this question this morning. Should our Christian faith make a difference, not only to us individually, but us being able to cope when we think about the world we have to live in? And my answer from Habakkuk this morning, as we will see, is yes. Let me tell you, if you are looking for a belief system centered on a God that not only is incredible in His nature, but makes sense in the outworking of truth, this book of Habakkuk soars in the light of distress, shows how faith in the God of the Bible and His plan for salvation, it is the answer to the human condition of perplexity and suffering. And this morning, you know what Habakkuk's name means? It's the most beautiful thing. I didn't know this. Habakkuk's name means to wrestle and embrace. That's human life. We wrestle, but in God, Habakkuk finds an ability to embrace. He goes from wrestling to resting. And this morning, I'm very aware that there are different stories in the room that need to hear this message this morning. And you see, I want to quickly uh, tell you about how Habakkuk tells us, he instructs us. The most wonderful thing about reading history and reading your Bible from cover to cover is that what we are going through is nothing new. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to feel this sense of, hey, people have gone before us and they have found these incredible answers to life in God and they're available for us today. But we must not think that our situation is somehow unique in the history of the world. It's not. And Habakkuk tells us that there are generations after generations who've gone before us to say, hey, they've wrestled with the same thing and they've found God in it. And Habakkuk's time is just like ours. It was a time of massive upheaval. He was a prophet in Israel uh, in about 640 BC to 775, oh, what was it, 575 BC. It was roughly there. And his was an age of contrast. He was born in King Josiah's age. He was, uh, this king was a great reformer. He was a, a mighty man of God. And Israel, or Judah, which was, well, northern Israel was destroyed as a nation by the Assyrians. But there was left this little southern kingdom of Judah. It reached a wonderful height of love and faithfulness to God. But in the very next reign of King Josiah's son, King Jehoiakim, Habakkuk saw this nation just plummet. Going from this wonderful height of pursuing God and success and prosperity to disaster. And not only was this difficult, as you saw a nation decay in corruption and bribery and wickedness and lawlessness, is Habakkuk got to watch a change of empires. Assyria, which had dominated the scene for centuries, was in decline, and Babylon, Habakkuk calls them Chaldeans, was on the rise. And you must remember how significant it is. Whenever you have an empire change in history, that empire enforces new values, new gods, new worldviews and this massive shifting for israel as we're going to see was going to be the end of judah for a while babylon was going to come and wreck jerusalem smash the temple send israel off into exile it was going to be a devastating moment for this nation yet 
Yet in all of this turmoil, the central thing of Habakkuk is this this morning. What he wants you to walk away from after these three weeks that we spend together is that the righteous shall live by faith. Can I be honest? I didn't know what that term meant until I started to study this book. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk's decision to put his faith in the God of the Bible helped him to turn inner turmoil into triumph. And the end of this book is triumphant. Can you rejoice in suffering? Yes. Can you find meaning in suffering? Yes. Can you find peace in the perplexity of life? Yes. The way that this book ends is glorious. Habakkuk can say, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Amen? So let's read. I've got, I've got 25 minutes to convince you this morning in this opening sermon. But let's read the first 12 verses of Habakkuk together from chapter 1. And I want you to listen to the distress of this prophet as he gets this revelation from God. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make, these in, make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations, this is God's answer. Look among the nations, Habakkuk, and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men, whose own might is their God. And this is Habakkuk's response, verse 12 today. Are you not from everlasting? O oh Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O oh Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O oh Rock, have established them for reproof. My first uh, point this morning is Habakkuk's first problem. And I wonder if you're familiar with this in your own life this morning. In verse 2 of chapter 1, Habakkuk says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arrives. The first problem Habakkuk is having in this perplexity of what is happening among the nations and the future of his own nation is that God is silent. He is saying nothing. 
And this isn't just some sort of soma soma prayer of Jesus, sweet and wonderful, you know, help me have a blessed day. When Habakkuk says violence, you know what the Hebrew says? It is a scream. Now, none of you, I'm sure, have screamed to God in public out of distress, but I'm sure in your heart you've screamed to him in the watches of the night. And this Habakkuk, he is screaming violence. It is from this disturbed heart. This isn't just some sort of prayer where, where you know, you, you, you're sort of hoping that if it turns out it's optional, it's okay. If I ask this of God and he doesn't do it, it'll be fine. No, this guy is distressed and his prayer is serious and earnest. He wants to see this nation of Israel changed. He can see where it's all going. He can see disaster on the horizon, inverted commas. And he's crying out to God saying, God, come and intervene into this situation. We're desperate. And God is silent. And the first problem Habakkuk has is that God is not answering his prayer. He's frustrated. How long shall I cry? Have you ever prayed this morning, and you might be doing it right now, and you've prayed in such a way where God doesn't even give you the encouragement of saying, just wait. Just wait, I'm working. He says nothing. Zip. Zero. Then the second part of his first problem is that God's being passive. He says, yeah, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Have you ever prayed and in such a way where God seems to be doing nothing? Not only is he doing nothing, it's getting worse. You go to the doctor, you, 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 you're on your cancer treatments. And you're praying and you're praying, God's saying nothing first, and second, you get it back, and it's just worse news after worse news after worse news. Habakkuk is praying for this nation. He's seen revival before in a desire. He's praying for revival now, saying, God, come on. And the more he prays, the worse it gets. Have you ever had that before? It's a terrible place to be. I'll say, and there's a third problem that we see here <laughs> is that Habakkuk, in his opening problem, is questioning God's character. Has this ever been you? It's been me. He says here, and why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Can't you see, God? How can I reconcile your character, which is good and holy and just and kind and merciful, with what you are allowing in society at the moment? How can I be praying to you? And it's not just that you're silent. It's not that you're doing nothing. It's getting worse. And the problem for Habakkuk is saying, I've cast up prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. And what I see is a contradiction of who you are. Let me tell you, that's a tough place to be. He is struggling to reconcile who God is with what he is seeing. And this isn't very difficult for anyone here this morning who's really brought something to God that you really need. And God is not answering. He's not answering. In actual fact, do you know what Habakkuk feels like in this whole moment? Is he feels betrayed by God. But Habakkuk's problem's not done yet. Don't worry, we're getting to the positive part of the sermon. I can see you going, where is this guy going? We're supposed to be having faith. And but I want you to just recognize, this is happening to a man of God. Because you're suffering, my friend, doesn't mean that you're out of step with God. Some of the worst things happen to the godliest of people. 
And suffering is not a verdict of failure. Let me tell you, suffering is the invitation, actually no, the forced engaging with a God who is sovereign and does not bend to every woman will of our lives, but has an independent will, and that will can differ from what you want in life, and sometimes painfully so. Amen? Because let me tell you what happens next. Is <laughs> Habakkuk's second problem that he takes to God, is when God answers him, finally, he does not like the answer at all. It was interesting talking to a friend and she was saying about a journey she was on in her life around something, it was a house, a purchasing house, and we came to the conclusion she was so upset that God did not give them the specific house that they wanted. And they really saw it was perfect and God said no. And she was upset. It did not align with what she wanted. And this is a man of God who is praying. He is praying for God's glory, for God's glory to take place in this situation. Here he's praying for a nation to turn to God, not for his comfort, not for his, 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 his own uh, 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 name or glory, for the sake of God's name. God's name was being trampled in the situation. God was getting no glory, and he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying. And the answer that he gets is the worst possible answer he, he could have ever imagined. And God knows it. In God's response, he says this, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, Habakkuk, for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. What God's decision, or how God decides to answer Habakkuk's prayer, is the most shocking answer Habakkuk could have ever imagined. Instead of God stepping into a situation saying, I'm going to make it all nice and neat. Don't worry, I'm going to send my spirit. There's going to be revival. And there's going to, this King Joachim is going to get saved. And this whole nation is going to then turn to God. And I'm going to bless them. They're going to prosper them. Your children are going to have wonderful jobs because of all the, the godliness in society. And the churches will be full. He doesn't do that. You know what he does? You know how he deals with Israel's waywardness? Is he raises up the Babylonians. This wicked, bloodthirsty nation that doesn't fear God doesn't want anything to do with God. In actual fact, they worship a whole other set of gods. And these Babylonians, God says, I am going to use for my tool. Do you know how I'm going to deal with these Israelites and the idolatry? It's not a, a world revival. No, no, it's going to be exile. And Habakkuk is in disbelief. He can't believe it. The very people God is going to use are worse than where the Israelites are right now. Friends, if there's one thing you'll realize about the God of the Bible is he has his own will. And he works in ways when often we don't like. And so the cry of Habakkuk, let me use modern, easier language. God, are you listening? God, are you doing anything? God, are you who you say you are? And God, I don't like it. Aren't those familiar phrases? So this morning, church, how do we find a solution? And the first part I'm going to kick off this morning, Joe will kick off next week, is it is brilliant to see how this man teaches us to cope with these distresses and perplexities that are global and personal. 
And it's a simple verse in verse 12. After God's answer and God's describing the nation he's going to use as his instrument to get his work done in Israel, this is what Habakkuk's answer is in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, O Yahweh, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. He's talking about the Babylonians. He's, in James, he's ordained his Chaldeans as judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for the reproof of Israel. What is he doing here? How do you stop today? Maybe this is you this morning. I, don't, I might just be one person in the room. And you're in the space of going, I am like Habakkuk at the opening of this book. I don't know what God is doing. He's not listening to me and I'm in distress. And I'd like you to bank this if you're not this morning because it's going to come. Is the first thing he does is he forces himself to stop and to think. Ah, simple language, not so. Lloyd-Jones is brilliant on this point. But what happens when we are hit is we feel deeply. We feel all sorts of emotions. We feel betrayal. We feel disappointment. We feel, in a sense, a hopelessness and a disbelief when we get these uh, responses from God or the lack thereof. Well, the first thing is you can't stay in what you feel. And we know all that. That's pre-primary. Yet I'll probably say some of us struggle, including myself, to graduate from pre-primary in these trials, right? But the second thing is, he doesn't even start to analyze the problem. That's very important. He doesn't sit and say, well, let me understand what's going on right now. God has just told him what he's going to do, but that's not where Habakkuk's going to start. Where he starts in his distress is he's just, he starts to think about God. Now, that's not natural. Lloyd-Jones calls it the indirect approach. He starts to think about God. That is the first step to finding faith when under the yoke of fear. He starts to think about who God is. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And the best way I can get to explain it is like this. It's like a play. And you can either be in the audience and you're watching a scene on the stage and you don't like it. Something terrible has just happened. It's like watching a movie almost. But except make it a live play and you go, no, how can that happen? And you watch this scene. You've got no control over it, like over the nations and what God is doing. But you're disturbed by what you're seeing. That's the first option. Or perhaps you're in the scene. It's happening in your life personally and you get the script and you don't like the script. You read the words and you go, oh my goodness, this is happening to me. What do you do? You don't focus on the feeling. It's there. You acknowledge it. You don't even focus on analyze, analyzing the problem. Because you go behind the curtain and you think about the director. That's not natural because the director's not on the stage. And that's where you've got to lift your mind to. You start to think about God. And friends, faith is only possible in your life when you start to think there, when you start to fix your mind on God. And the second point is, so the first is stop and think, but stop and think about God behind the curtain, the director of the play. The second is go back to what you know to be true. The absolutes of your life. Do you know what fear fixates on is uncertainty. What faith fixates on is certainty, what you know to be true. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And if you're going to cope from translating this fear into faith, 
the next thing that you have to do is you have to go, all right, what do I know to be true in this situation? Where's the solid ground? Where can I find an unchanging space, a rock on which I can stand and, and put my faith? There's only one place. It's in who God is. There's only one thing that is unchanging in this whole universe, and that's God. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is coming from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And this is what Habakkuk starts to fix his mind on. He's, we know his feelings are going crazy. We know he's distressed about what the situation is. He puts those aside for the moment. He goes, okay, let me think about God. What are you like? You are from everlasting to everlasting. You are Yahweh, my God. You're this God of, who's holy. You're the holy one. You're almighty. The, the King James Version says, almighty God, but it's like a rock. He's like a mountain, and the rock's the size of this mountain. Has God changed? Has he been moved? He's faithful. He's Yahweh, the God of the covenant. He's made promises to me. I know this God. This God is like this. So in this situation, though I feel like this, though I see it like this, oh, but what I'm going to fix my mind on is who God is. There's my absolute. There's my unshaking ground. There's my un unshakable foundation that I'm going to choose to fix my, my mind on. You know, Mark Wood taught me as a small group leader was Isaiah... He says this, he taught me, Isaiah 26 verse 3, he says, You keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You keep in perfect peace. That's where we start to fix our eyes, are these absolutes about God. Friends, the most important thing you think about in your life is what you think about God. Your life work is to get to know this God of the Bible through His Son, Jesus Christ. How can you trust someone you don't know? How can you have faith in a person you are unfamiliar with? And this is the point. God's whole work with humanity is to reveal Himself, the world He's made, the Savior He sent, the cross and resurrection, the speaking through the prophets, all of this work of God is to draw us to himself. Personally, as Laurie said, he's communicating. He's showing you through his actions and his words and his track record that he's a living God. He's a person and he can be known. Praise God. If you don't know God, you won't trust him. Or let me put it another way. The degree to which you know God is the degree to which your faith can grow. I'll give you an example of my little boy this morning. He broke his arm in December. It was just before three, he turned three. He came off the jungle gym and it was hanging like this. So you knew it's surgery. COVID, why do I? So luckily my wife's the doctor in the family, not me. Off we go to hospital. This little boy has to go into this theater. They are putting injections in him. They're trying to put the, the, him, gas him. And all he's doing throughout the process is Dad's taking him into the hospital. Okay, where are we? What, what's going on? I don't know where we are, but my dad's with me. Okay. All right. Now they're starting to pick, put things in my arm. There's this weird, these lights, people coming in these green gowns, these masks. They are, they are prodding him. They are poking him. It's distressing. And then they're trying to put this thing on his, 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 his face. And what I notice about Elijah is this. 
He's looking at them and then he's looking at me. He's looking at them and then he's looking at me. And at each step, he's checking in to say, Dad, you with me? Are we okay? Yes, my boy, we're good. You're right. And there he falls asleep in my, he didn't even shed a tear. And the thing that I walked out of that, and then when he woke up from the anesthetic, he was so distressed. He flails. It's a side effect of the distress. They said to me, Dad, you've got to climb into the bed and you've got to hold him. That personal connection with my son saw him through the most traumatic. He's limited. He can hardly speak. What does he know about the world and what's going on? He's a little two-year-old. He's barely just come out of toddler stage. But the thing that anchors him is he knows his dad. He knows what his father feels like. He knows that his his father's track record is like, is that his dad is trustworthy. And he can go into the situation and say, no, it's fine. I know who is with me. And friends, this morning, the most important thing in your life is what Andreas said, is you getting to know God in every season, and the best are when He speaks. Because let me tell you, when the darkness comes, that's when you're called to remembrance. And that's why when God asked Moses, is there anything that you want of me? There was one thing that He said. He said, show me your glory. I want to know you. Five minutes left. I'm almost there, don't worry. So the first is you've got to stop and think. The second is you've got to go back to what you know to be true. That's what you think about. It's God and who He is. But that's even not quite faith just yet. Is The third step is you have to apply what you know to be true about God to the situation, and that is the step of faith. You had to ask me, what does it mean to have faith? It is the moment you believe. In other words, you apply what you know to be true about God to the situation rather than putting God on trial in it. What's the essence of unbelief? The essence of unbelief is to say, oh, well, let's see how you do now, God. You've got to prove yourself to me. Do you know what that's called in the Old Testament? It's called testing God. And the first generation of Israelites were brilliant at it. He has a God who struck Egypt with 10 plagues. He has a God who delivered them. He split the Red Sea. He has a God who did wonders in their midst. And I read this week in Exodus chapter 16 and 17, the very first thing that happened when they had crossed the Red Sea, miraculously, is they got hungry. And what did they do? They grumbled against God. And they went to Moses and Aaron and said, did you deliver us? Oh, did God deliver us out of Egypt so that we could die here in hunger? Hmm? Hmm? Come on, God. Prove yourself. And Hebrews quotes the psalmist, I think it is, it says, these ten times these Israelites tested me in the wilderness. Friends, you might know about God, but that doesn't mean you trust Him. Faith is the moment you decide to apply what you believe about God. And in your application, say, yeah, I, I see this. This is not looking very good. I see this. this is actually causing me to question the character of God. This is causing me to question who He is, or if He really is what He says He is. Ah, oh, but in that moment, you say, no. I walk by faith, not by so that means I trust what God has said about him and what I know to be true about him rather than put him on trial again by what I see. Do you do that in your life? How many times around the mountain do you go before you say, finally, what I know about you, God, I'm going to believe and say, this is true about you. I'm going to trust you. Or is it every time there's a failure in commendation? And this is me. This is me. I mean, I had to laugh whilst I was making this. Film. I was even late this morning because all of the, my, my life scenario is playing out. The most exciting thing is God allowing you time and time again to exercise this muscle of saying, okay, God, am I going to put you to the test this time? 
or am I going to trust you? And friends, faith, faith is translating what we know to be true about God into trusting Him that He is the same, even though what is happening causes me to doubt and to question. And you know, when I sat this morning, I was like, this is all just so simple. This is pre-primary. Let me tell you, it is not simple in the application. It's hard. In this room, moms have had to bury their daughters. Children have wandered from the faith, and there's been faithful parents who've prayed for them. Businesses have gone bust. There are people dying of cancer. There are things that are going and happening in this room, and the, the greatest trial of their lives is happening. It might be you this morning. I don't want your story, is, but it's certainly a reality where Jesus himself, the most difficult thing for him was in the Garden of Gethsemane, having to translate when he said, Father, Father, if it be possible, would you take this cup from me? There was this struggle of translating, knowing who this Father was into trusting Him and, and, and acting and obeying according to God's character. Saying, okay, Lord, if you, tell me who you, if you tell me to do this, I trust you because I know who you are. It is the hardest thing for the believer to do. And I'll also say this, it can also be the hardest thing for the not yet believer to do. To trust God completely to say, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life, this is Jesus. He is my hope. I trust my life entirely to Him. Let me tell you, it sounds like a simple little rhythm. Think, stop and think. Stop and think about who God is. Friends, the translation of saying, this time I'm going to trust God. When my friends are laughing at me saying, how can your God be good when you're dying of cancer? How can your God be good when you're burying your child? How can your God be good when you're struggling with depression? How can your God be, how can all these things, when the world and Satan scoff at you and even your own flesh is full of doubt, to stand and to say, no, I live by faith, not by sight, and I know whom God is, and I choose to believe who he is even though I can't see it. Friends, that is the triumph of the Christian life. That is the highest point you can get to. Let me tell you where the victory happened for Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said three times. It took three prayers. But on the third time when he said, not my will, your will be done. He sweat blood to get to that point. Do you know that? That was the victory for Jesus personally. Our victory was on the cross. His victory was saying, I submit even to your no. I believe God is good in his no, even though I want his yes. Is that you this morning? Let me tell you, that is the journey of your life. And what I'm concerned about, I'll just, I'll, is a sentimental faith won't survive testing. If God is just a PowerPoint slide of encouragement to you, or a Facebook feed, you kind of hope that you get on the day you need it. Let me tell you, sentimental faith does not cope when the call of trial comes. And our heart for you as an eldership and as a church is to see a generation that can look at perplexity and trial and difficulty and rather than be gripped by an increasing fear to say, you know what? I'm going to trust God and see a faith growing higher and higher and higher. Because you see, how does Habakkuk translate all this by applying what he knows about God? 
he says, God, you from everlasting to everlasting. He knows. He's saying, so am I competent to judge the situation? Am I limited like my little Elijah? Did he understand what was going on? No, his father did. And his father was acting according to the wisdom that he had. And friends, today, if you're willing to embrace who God is, it is freedom from fear. It is freedom from this crushing sense of what is going to happen in the future. Where is this all going to go? Is there going to be any hope? Let me tell you, hope comes from who God is. Because when you start to see who He is and believe it, that's when the oxygen of faith begins to come. And it begins to soar. You can see Habakkuk's freedom coming. He can say, I don't understand this all, but God does. I rest in that. He goes, not only is God from everlasting, He's holy. Is God wicked? Is what He doing wrong and unjust? Is that his character and nature? No. So even though I can't see the end of the equation, I'm going to trust God now that he's going to work this for the good. And friends, let me tell you, God did. If you read the history of Israel, that exile to Babylon, never again did Israel ever worship an idol. God had tried to reach Israel through prophecy, through drought, through environmental disasters, through invasion, through all sorts of things. None of it worked. But the very answer to Habakkuk's prayer came. His earnestness was not in vain. Here was God. He was holy. Being able to produce a holy people through what Habakkuk didn't like. In the end, his purpose got fulfilled. And it went way beyond what he had achieved before. God is almighty. He's this rock. Is he shaken? Is he off his throne? No, he's the creator of all things. And he chooses to believe God is in control. Can you see how he's translating what he knows about God into faith and how it's setting him free from fear? Well, how about this? He's the God of a covenant. When he says Yahweh, L-O-R-D in capital letters, he knows this God isn't just out there, glorious. He's bound himself to me. He's made promises to me. He's coming to covenant with me. It's the most wonderful thing. This covenant is based on another's righteousness, this blood of this lamb. Is this God is personal. He loves me. He loves his people. That's why he says, we're not going to die. What was at stake for Habakkuk was Israel was going to be wiped out completely off the face of the earth. Oh no, Habakkuk goes, he's not going to exterminate his people because he's promised to be their God. He's promised to keep them alive. He's promised that the seed of salvation is going to come from the children of Abraham. He moves from this place of fear to this place of faith and it changes him. His whole thinking changes. His whole heart changes. He gets clarity of mind and he starts to soar and rejoice and he starts to get peace. Has anything changed in the circumstance yet? No. But his feelings have, and his sense of confidence returns. Friends, that is how faith works. When you translate who you know God to be into saying, I'm not putting you on trial anymore. I'm going to trust you. Friends, as you start to apply who God is, things change. Even if it's just in you. Fear leads to a fuzzy mind. Faith leads to a clear mind. But then what about step four? So the first is you stop and think, and you think about what's behind the curtain, the director. Secondly is you think about what do I know to be true in this situation, and you will only find that in God. The absolute unchanging person is the creator. The third is you apply it. You believe it. You apply it to your situation. And the fourth is this. What if you're still in doubt? So... You know where the sermon series actually was birthed was when Andrea came to see me in my office about this devastating moment of losing, I don't know if it was a nephew or niece, but her, her sister losing this baby. And you know what I realized? I said to her, was, Andrea, you know what the difficulty is here? Is there hasn't been any time. And sometimes God says nothing. He gives no insights. And secondly... There hasn't been time. 
to see how this plays out for the glory of God. And all she was holding to was, I believe God is still good. I believe he is still who he is. I've struggled a bit. I've struggled a bit with his character. This is out of step with who he says he is. But I'm landing on believing. And you see Habakkuk had to wait. He had to wait. In, in chapter 2, verse 1, it is a powerful moment where Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints. Sometimes there is this gap where you're in the trial and you don't see the outcome. And what you do in that moment is you say, even though I don't see what's coming on the other side, I believe. I believe. You take it to God in prayer. You leave it with Him and you say, I choose to trust who you are now. And it will come. It will come. Habakkuk got to see God's vindication. We get to read it in the Bible. Habakkuk wasn't quite sure. I don't know how, how long he lived, but he certainly was told what God was doing. And we got to see on the other side how God did work for the good and for the glory, even through a lot of pain, even through a lot of loss. The Israelites lost their temple. They lost their identity. They lost their independence. Oh, but they gained God. And friends, today I want to say to you, if you are in the in-between, like Habakkuk, is what you do is you don't say, ah, I'm putting you on trial until you come through. No, no, you stand and you wait. You say, God, I'm waiting for you. You don't even have to process with everybody around you. You can, but let me tell you, the most important thing that you process is before God. And you say, God, I am struggling to see how you are reconciling your character with what you are doing right now. But you know what? My, my, my way I choose to live my life is I trust you. Delayed prayer. Silence. Don't like your answer. However you choose to come through in the end, I'm going to wait and depend upon your goodness. And he finds peace. Some of your stories don't have full stops yet. But I can tell you the one who's writing it today is working for the good. Your good and his ultimate glory. So wait. Let's close our eyes. Oh Lord, this morning, as we come to you, we recognize our need for you. And I just sense this morning that there's some who need fresh courage. That's what faith in essence is. The courage to trust you, Lord even when you can't see or they can't see what is happening. And Father, I pray today for a fresh peace, a fresh sense of clarity, a fresh sense of perspective as we look at this world, as we look at life. I pray we'd see you. What a director you are. Before time, you made all things. You're working in all things. 
we see the end from the beginning. And this morning, Lord, as a church, we want to just affirm who you are and say to you, you are our hiding place, our safe refuge, and we fix our eyes on you. Lord, I do pray in the simple word this morning, there would be profound outworking. That, Lord, we would be a people that would grow, grow, grow in our ability to stand, to trust you, Lord, to see you for who you are, and to hold to it. And if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, your first step is to live by faith. And you need to trust Jesus this morning. You need to trust him. It's not a one step in, one step out. You need to say to him, Jesus, I'm doing business with you this morning. (laughs) I need to live. I need your righteousness, Jesus. I need what you did on the cross for me to speak for me. I need to get serious about you. I believe who you are and what you said. That's your start this morning. You need to come to faith in Jesus. That's how you live. And then you go on believing for the rest of your life. Getting to know God and trusting His Word. I just want to give one moment more before we close off with just a song. Is there anything in your life this morning that you need to hand over to God and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not responding to feeling, I'm not responding to the scene, I want to come and say to you, I'm fixing my eyes and you, I'm trusting you. Yeah, I just have on my heart some of provision. You're just trusting God for, for work, for money. Just feel the Lord saying to you, you can trust me. There's family issues here this morning. I just feel that there's people who are struggling in their marriage and struggling with their children. I just sense that there's a real need there. I just feel that the Lord is saying to you this morning, you trust me. Some of us have really been gripped about the future of our country. Just really sense that you're fearful. You don't know where things are going. I sense the Lord is saying to you this morning, you need to trust me. Trust me like Habakkuk. Don't put me on trial. I promise to be good to you, even to this country. Just also saying, some here have lost, have lost, lost people. Since the Lord wants to say to you, trust me. Even in your grief, trust me. I promise to be good to you. So, Lord, make us a people that think, think about you, fix our eyes on you this morning. Apply that to our lives and to wait on you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.
forever changed by your love, Lord. Your great love, the passion of our Savior. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. When we look at that cross, we know that we are loved. We look to you again. Your truth, Lord. The truth of that love, Lord. We might not understand our situations, our circumstances, Lord. We can put our faith in you, Lord. Your goodness. into your presence this morning we have come and we have your word Lord we have sung songs of praise and adoration to you Father you alone are worthy you alone are worthy Pray, Lord, as uh, we go from this place and we go from your presence now, that we will grow in faith, Lord. That we'll draw closer to you. That we'll continue to fix our eyes upon you, our mighty Savior. 
creator of the heavens and the earth. We sing, Lord, we sing, our hearts sing this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we proclaim as well that we believe. We believe in you. Thank you for your love that you have for us. Amen. So, so we go, just go with God's blessing, go with God's rejoicing. There's coffee and tea and let's just fellowship together in his wonderful name. Amen.